It's Thursday, February 25th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Good. I'm fully caffeinated. I've got more coffee in front of me. You know, I'm, I'm excited that I see actually a a mug of coffee rather than a purchased cup of coffee. Your the amount of coffee that you purchase worries me sometimes. Well, we brought this up before. We have free coffee in the office, and you choose to walk across the street and pay for it after waiting in line, which I consider almost a mental illness. <laughs> I was with you right up until the mental <laughs> illness part. I'm getting some exercise when I go for a walk, okay. and I'm I feel like I'm getting value for the money I'm paying because the coffee we have in the office it's it's free, <laughs> but I think that's probably the best thing I would say about the coffee in our office. Okay, is right. that it's free. That's fair. And just to to further deflate you. The coffee that's in my mug right now is coffee that I purchased at Starbucks ah. and then poured in my mug so I can put that in the microwave and heat it up. Can't win. Let's talk about private companies because we don't talk about private companies all that much. And you actually co-authored something for Fast Company magazine that I want to get to that 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 ties into that. And um, it, this is a piece entitled "The Case Against Startups Raising as Much Money as Humanly Possible." This is something that you co-authored with Craig Shapiro. Yep. Is that right? Yep. What's the thirty-second or, or less on Craig Shapiro? Craig Shapiro, uh, he's a really fascinating guy. He started a ringtone company when he was in his twenties, back when ringtones were a, a business. Back uh, in the early two thousands, legit big business. Yeah, people, you know, you wanted to get a new ringtone, uh, you text a certain number, and you got, you know, your favorite song as a ringtone. You paid ninety nine cents for it. Started a company back then, sold it in I think two thousand four, and then didn't really know what he wanted to do. He was, you know, he got rid of his company. He had a chunk of money, didn't know what he wanted to do, so he became an investor. Uh, and he's a venture capitalist investor, and he's he's really successful, and just a great, nice, down to earth guy. Interesting article because this comes at a time where we're starting to see in the private markets, and when we were out in San Diego uh, for the one event. Uh, Earlier this month, I remember talking with Andy Cross, our chief investment officer, and he made the point that he he felt like what is happening in the private markets is starting to affect what's happening in the public markets. Yeah. And, and things have settled down a bit since a few weeks ago, but we're seeing certainly far fewer IPOs so far. At this point in, in 2015, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 companies that had gone public in less than two months. Yeah. So far in 2016, I believe the number is four. Yeah, and uh, we're really starting to see this tightening of the purse strings. But it sounds like, from the way you think and the way Craig Shapiro thinks, that's a much better way to go. Well, what what Craig and I wrote, and he has a lot of experience with this because he's a venture capitalist investor, so he talks to founders, startups all all the time. And there is a general sense among companies that when you go out to venture capital funds and you're raising money, you want to get as much money as you can, the biggest check possible. And a lot of times what you end up seeing is companies will raise more money than they need, and it ends up making them fat and lazy. (laughs) And so much success in business, especially when you're talking about startups, the success isn't because you have deep pockets. The success is because you're hungry. And a lot of times it's because you uh, have a tight budget that's really going to make you focus on getting the task done. Whereas companies that have really deep pockets can just get kind of lazy and unfocused because there's no urgent priority to get things done right now. 
So the, the, the example I've used in the past is, you know, Microsoft had $60 billion in the bank and created the Zune, whereas Apple was nearly bankrupt and created the iPod. And it's like, you know, that, that's, that's anecdotal, but we see this a lot across businesses, that the best innovation, companies from companies that need to innovate right now and do something fast or else they're literally going to go out of business. So we just kind of made the argument that it's not, you know, raising as much money as you can should not be most companies' goal. You should raise money that you need, but not that's out there. And this was especially true over the last couple of years when a lot of companies could raise way more money than they needed. There are just endless checks out there waiting for them. And a lot of those companies, I think, in hindsight, will realize that that will backfire and become a curse. Thank you for reminding everyone that once upon a time, Microsoft invented the Zune, which was there. It's, it's great, yeah. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't poke fun at Microsoft because no, no, you can. You're allowed to. You know, I can because certainly, if if you're a Microsoft shareholder, the last couple of years since Satya Nadella came in yeah. and really, you know, uh, turned things around at yeah. that company, which is not easy to do given the size of that company. Yeah. But but I'm wondering how much of this has to do, and 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 maybe this is something Craig has touched on before, or you know, in your conversations with him. I wonder how much of this has to do with the culture. In Silicon Valley, because if you are a young startup and times are lean, it, it, it can be not only pretty dazzling to have any number of venture capital companies come at you with their checkbooks open saying, and how many zeros would you like us to add right. on this, but there's also just, for lack of a better term, the peer pressure. There, there is something pretty nice about certainly that first round of investment where you say, "Okay, we don't have to worry about money," and oh, by the way, we can we can um, start rolling out the perks a little bit. I, I, yeah, I have there to... are a lot of factors involved. For one, the more money you get, maybe the higher valuation you're going to get, and that's going to increase the founder's net worth. So of course, they're incentivized to try to pump those numbers up as much as possible. And 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 then the second factor, which is you know, to be a successful startup, you need to attract talent, talented employees. And with companies like Google and Facebook out there offering just amazing perks, I think there's yeah, there's a lot of pressure in startups to kind of match that culture with a great office environment and free food and you know just great perks that cost a lot of money. But that's not what's going to really innovate the business over time. What's really going to innovate the business is when a company is just sharply laser focused on what needs to get done. And I think you'll see time and time again that that happens at companies that really need to keep their eye on the financial ball, rather than companies that have a lot of runway in front of them. Do you think it's ultimately a good thing for the public markets, and therefore a good thing for individual investors, if we do see a continuation of this pullback on IPOs, because it, it, it really does seem, certainly in 2015, and we see it every year, there are companies that go public that just aren't quite ready to handle the, the rigor of being a public company. Yeah. But it really seemed like we saw a lot more of that in 2015 than we had seen in previous years. Well, I think it's just in capitalism, it's just as important that you have a washout cycle than it is you have a growth cycle. That's just as, part of, as, as important a part of the process. So you're going to go through periods all the time in all different kinds of markets where things are great and everyone's happy and things are growing. And then you're going to go through periods where the tide goes out. And the people that didn't focus, didn't have their stuff together, are going to get washed out. And that's really important to wash out that bat over time. It's uncomfortable. People are always going to try to stop it. People are always going to make sure that they're not in the way of it when it happens. But it's a totally natural and important part of the business cycle. I've said before that one of the reasons 
people should think about getting on Twitter so that they can follow you because you you, you tweet a lot of interesting stuff. And you had tweeted something the other day about that I'm, I'm hoping you can expand on, and it's uh, this story of cables and the New York Stock Exchange and and sort of institutional traders, and it's just it it was one of those stories. Um, and you had you had shared this out in San Diego as well. It's one of those stories that uh, just reminds me of how happy I am that I don't want work on Wall Street that yeah. because it seems like sometimes the mania involved in institutional trading is just that mania. Yeah. So in Michael Lewis's last book called Flash Boys, which talks about the business of high high frequency trading, these fast computers that trade stocks all day, uh, the profile of that book was a company called IEX. And there was uh, a character. Uh, I, 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 I guess he's a character. I mean, it's a true book. Do you still call that a character? Uh, well, there it, is a character in the book named Ronan Ryan. A real. A he's real, a real guy. I don't know what. To, is, what would you call that? Um, I, you know, it's a person profile. When, when I've talked about uh, Lewis's book, The Big Short, I've, yeah. I've used the word character to describe. People I just feel like, like character means like, Michael car- like cartoon character. Yeah, and Anyways, Steve Eisen. Ronan Ryan is a real guy. He was profiled in Michael Lewis's book, and I interviewed Ronan Ryan last summer in Chicago. Ronan Ryan works for IEX. He understands the plumbing of how stocks are traded, I think, better than anyone else. And he told this fascinating story about how absurd high-frequency trading has become. And there are basically a handful of office buildings in New Jersey where virtually all of the stock exchanges hold their computer servers. And these high-frequency traders want to be as close to those servers as possible, as physically close, because then their data is transmitted to the exchanges faster if they are physically closer. And it got so intense that these high-frequency traders not only wanted their computers in the same building as the exchanges, but they wanted to be in the room closest to the computer server. And what Ronan was saying is that a foot of cable translates to about a billionth of a second of time for data to transfer. Billionth with a B. Billionth of a second. Okay. And that's actually in high frequency trading. Now they measure things in picoseconds, which is a millionth of a second. A trillionth of a second, I'm sorry. A trillionth of a second. Did you just make up the word picosecond? And it's a cool word though, isn't it? I've, I like saying it. Anyways, so a foot of cable is a billionth of a second. So they wanted to get as close to pos- as possible to the exchange servers so that they could transmit their data faster than the next guy. And then so they were fighting with each other to get closer, closer, closer. There's this big competition of who's going to get this room and who's going to get, you know, to put their servers on this side of the wall that is 10 feet closer. And it just got so crazy that finally the New York Stock Exchange a couple of years ago said, we're going to give everyone the same length cable. You have to use the same length cable, these high frequency traders. It was 185 yards. And then so that, you know, that in theory was going to stop this arms race of who wanted to be closest because you have the same length cable, so it doesn't matter anymore. But here's what happened. If you were closer to the exchange where people wanted to be in the past, but now you had this really long cable, you had to coil the cable up, wrap it up like you're wrapping you know, your, uh, garden your, vacu- hose. your garden hose. And it turns out that when you coil a cable like that, there is a light dispersion of the data moving through the cable that slows it down by a tiny, tiny billionth fraction of a second. And that alone made these, com- these high-frequency traders less competitive. So then there was a push to get... F- farthest away from the exchange so that you could straighten out the cable. Because a straightened cable was going to transmit data maybe a billionth or a trillionth of a second faster than a coiled cable. So then there was this arms race to get as far away as possible, to get your cord as straight as possible. 
And it's just, to me, I think, an example of how absurd day-to-day trading has become. Like, it's just, it doesn't have anything to do with business earnings or the economy. And the good news for most investors listening is that the day-to-day, minute-to-minute, picosecond-to-picosecond trading out there, even that is what's absurd, but that should have no influence or impact on how you invest as a long-term investor. So, I think, if anything, it's encouraging to say, when, people, when real investors look at the volatility today and say, where is this coming from? What's going on? It's important to look at it and say, it's not that there are traders out there who know more than you do or have a better feel on the economy. It might literally be there is a high-frequency trader out there that just straightened his cord, and that's why there is a little more volatility in the market today. Well, and you know, people like you and me, we can't possibly compete with that. So don't even try. No, I'm like, try. Like, don't yeah. even try that game. No. Uh, I, I mentioned our event out in San Diego, and uh, I'm happy to say that uh, for the first time ever, we are offering a digital pass to the event. This is an event for members of our Motley Fool One service. We had uh, a couple hundred join us out in San Diego. It was uh, it was a great event, uh, but for the first time ever, we're actually we we videotaped everything. So for the first time ever, uh, anyone can buy a digital pass. To the event, uh, all the presentations, Morgan speech, uh, Suzanne Fry, uh, who's on our board of directors and is a director at Google, uh, gave a speech about security and apps, and r- really got me personally thinking about not just how Alphabet as a business works and how Google within Alphabet operates, but just the way that they approach apps and time management. Uh, really thought provoking, uh, along with. Nine other breakout sessions that we had, uh, including some of our analysts breaking down individual stocks. So there are stock ideas, breakout sessions on how to manage your portfolio, how to deal with taxes. Robert Brokamp was part of this for anyone who listens to Motley Fool Answers. Megan Brinsfield from uh, our wealth management team. So just all these different things. Uh, and you can check it out. Go to digitalpass.fool.com. That's digitalpass.fool.com. I'll put the URL in the description of this podcast. Uh, definitely worth checking out. You I think so. Time. You had a good time. I, mean, I, mean, I always have a good time, yeah. I, I really enjoy these events. They're fun. It's great to meet uh, our readers and our, our listeners face-to-face. Yeah. And, and uh, I would just... Let me just say one thing on the pricing. Um, you don't have to look very far to find a one-day investing conference that costs over $1,000. To attend, um, and this is something. This is a digital pass that we've put together for a fraction of that amount. So check it out if you're interested. Digitalpass.fool.com. Uh, the Academy Awards are on Sunday. Uh, not for one second do I think you're actually going to stay up and watch. No, no, for two reasons. <laughs> one, I don't have a TV, and two, we have a four-month-old son. So my bedtime is between. Uh, it's it's no later than nine. I don't know when the Academy Awards start. I believe it starts at eight o'clock. No, I'll be I'll be snoring by then. You're not going to be on Twitter checking out what people are tweeting about either the winners or what Chris Rock, who's the uh, the host of the event, is. No, be I, I might go back and just watch. I'm sure he does some sort of monologue. I'd like to watch that. Chris Rock's one of my favorite yeah. favorite comedians he does of all a time. The Big Short up for Best Picture. You still haven't seen it, have you? No, no. You got you know what? I, I don't. I appreciate how much you read. I don't do these moving pictures that we talked about. <laughs> what was the last movie you saw in a theater? Um, it was Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini. Okay. 
had you also two, two years ago had you read also, the book book was so much better well it, it, well, I mean, it's standard right? it almost always is but the, see, the problem with that is that if you if they legitimately tried to turn the book into a, the movie the movie would have been eight hours long right so they just had to go through the book and just chop this section chop this so i'm watching the movie and i'm like You'd left out. You left out the most important part, and and the the other really sad part because it's a true story is that they had to leave the most uh, gruesome parts out of the movie. But the book just goes into detail of what they endured, and it's just amazing. Wow, that that, that actually Dude, let's sa- leave it, let's leave it there. That sounds like an ad for seeing the movie and not reading the book. <laughs> well, you know the truth of what he went through is not glamorous. No, that's that that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Uh, Yesterday we did this. We're doing it again today. Uh, our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, picking out as our closing music uh, one of the winners of best original song. I bet I, I don't know how much Eminem you listened to. I bet you didn't realize that Eminem was an Academy Award winner. Is that right? Oh, that's absolutely. Right. I didn't know that. Well, no. yeah, you do. Okay. Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.